for that reading. Well, for those who are joining us on the podcast, great to have you with us as well. Um, And for those who are live in person here this morning, it's really good to be able to share this time with you. In our hopes of a quick return back to Jerusalem for the captives of Babylon had, had finally been dashed. It had been 25 years since Hananiah, Mishael Azar, and Azariah had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. The mountains of Jerusalem were a distant memory for these men who now lived and served in the plains of Babylon. So much had changed since these strong, healthy, good-looking teenagers had arrived. To assist in their assimilation into the Chaldean culture, they were renamed. Replacing the names that referred to their god, they were named after the gods of the Babylonians. Hananiah, grace of the Lord, became Shadrach, servant of the sun god. Mishael, who is like God, became Mishak, the goddess of Shak. And Azariah, which meant the Lord is help, became, not to Bendigo, but Abendigo, servant of Nebo. So for three years, they had been trained and prepared for the king's service. And at the end of this period, their outstanding ability caught the eye of the king so that these three young men were appointed to the regular staff of advisors for the king. Whenever King Neb called for the boys of Jerusalem, he found their advice surpassed all the other magicians and enchanters of the entire kingdom. After another five years of service, there comes word of more captives from another raid on Jerusalem. Of those taken to Babylon was Ezekiel, a 26 or thereabouts year old priest. Now we don't know whether he knew of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, but we do know that he knew of their good friend Daniel. In fact, it was because of Daniel that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were promoted to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon. So for another 10 to 15 years, things went along pretty much as normal for these men now in their late 30s to early 40s. But with King Nebuchadnezzar's sacking of Jerusalem and the removal of all but the poorest of people who were left in the land, to tend to the fields and the farms and those sorts of things, the rest were taken back to Babylon. And tensions were on the rise. We pick up the story in around 580 BC, as recorded in Daniel chapter 3. And if you've got your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 3. It's around 150 years before the events that we read about of Nehemiah that we've been spending some time as a church family looking at. So for around 25 years, King Nebuchadnezzar had been assimilating people from the surrounding nations into the Chaldean way of life. 
But now with the latest influx of, of foreigners and their fascination with their own gods, and especially for the, the Israelites and their fascination and their, their pursuit of worship of a God who had no form, King Nebuchadnezzar needed to flex his muscle. And it's amazing what can be achieved when you are the dominant empire. And King Neb wanted to establish himself as boss. So to press home his rule, King Nebuchadnezzar had his craftsmen create this huge statue. Now statues built around this era were not uncommon. They were an opportunity to make a bit of a statement. They were, they were a way of showing off to reinforce the dominance of your authority and the compliance of the, the people to the nation's religion. And when they were made of the divine, they helped to endorse the national religion as well. And we also discover that kind of by sheer coincidence, maybe not, it just so happened to endorse the king's divinely appointed supremacy as their king. Around 60 years later, in what we now know as Turkey, Herodotus records a statue of the god Bel being made of 22 tons of gold. Today's equivalent in dollar value would have been around $1.1 billion worth of gold in the raw state. And then you would have had the craftsmen building this statue. So statues could be lavish. And where the king's, King Nebuchadnezzar's um, gold statue was solid gold and just gold plated, doesn't really matter. Because this 27 metre tall statue, or the equivalent of about eight stories high and 2.7 metres wide. This gold statue could be seen over the plains of Babylon for miles as it glistened in the sun. For the average captive, they would still be looking at their hometown leaders for guidance, for clues on how to behave and what to do. So King Nebuchadnezzar called for all the princes, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the counsellors, the judges, the magistrates, and all the uh, provincial officers <clears throat> to come and to show allegiance to the king by bowing down to the ground in worship of the king and his gold statue. Now, if they still lacked motivation... King Nebuchadnezzar gave them some extra incentive. Just to one side, on the plain of Dura, Neb had his builders make a huge pizza oven. The size of a small building. It was stoked and smoke was rising. And anyone who resisted the king's command would be stripped and thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, a blazing furnace was also not new to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the people of Israel knew about it. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah pronounces judgment against the false prophets 
citing their faith in the fiery furnace. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 20 and 22 through 22, we read this. Therefore, listen to this message from the Lord, all you captives there in Babylon. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says about your prophets, Ahab, son of Kolahai, and Zedekiah, son of Maaseiah, who are telling you lies in my name. I will turn them over to Nebuchadnezzar for execution before your eyes. Their terrible fate will become proverbial so that the Judean exiles will curse somebody by saying, May the Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon burned alive. So in Daniel 3, when the big band started to play their horns, their flutes, their zithers, their harps, their pipes and the other instruments, these high-ranking officials bowed down to the gold statue and King Neb puffed out his chest with pride. Centuries earlier, the prophetic leader Moses predicted this day when the Hebrew people would face such a situation. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, we read this. Today, I call on heaven and earth as witnesses against you. If you break my covenant, you will quickly disappear from the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. You will live there only a short time, then you will be utterly destroyed. For the Lord will scatter you among the nations where only a few of you will survive. There, in a foreign land, you will worship idols made from wood and stone, gods that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. But from there, you will search again for the Lord your God. And if you search for him with all your heart and soul, you will find him. While Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego failed to catch King Neb's eye with their audacious behaviour, they did not escape the attention of some of the local astrologers. Now whether it was out of envy or a case of the classic tall poppy syndrome or just trying to suck up to the king, these dobbers ratted out the Jews. With fists and spit flying in all directions, King Neb screamed for these three traitors to appear before him and quiver. Post haste, these three obstinate officials were dragged before King Neb. In verse 14 of chapter 3 of Daniel, we read this. Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I've made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? 
You know, it was interesting to read on the ABC Radio National an article from Andrew West that raised concerns in Australia that religion is the new frontier of workplace discrimination. In Australia, we seek to protect religious freedom, including the freedom to hold no religion. But there can be subtle through to overt pressure to separate our Christian views and values from our everyday life. Especially as we see the decline of Christianity in the Australian population. On the slide that we can see there, we can see that over the, uh, from in the uh, uh, slide of the Australian Bureau of Statistics Census from 2016. And over the last 50 years, the greatest shift has not been by the rise of religions like Islam, but by the decline of Christianity, coupled with a 29% rise in people identifying as having no religion. Those in the 18 to 34-year-old age bracket, that second group down, are least likely to identify as Christian and most likely to identify with no religion. And according to an ABC report that I was reading, in Clifton Hill, just, just five kilometres to the south of us, 55% of the population identifies as having no religion. As followers of Jesus, we need to be prepared for and accept that there will come times when our belief in Jesus will not be palatable to those around us. And in times such as that, it can be worthy for us to consider how might we respond. You know those times when you're asked, what did you do on the weekend? And we may be tempted to skirt around the fact that we went to church. Instead saying, oh, well, I just hung out with some friends or I went over to my relative's place or spent time with the family. When we join in with the boys laughing at a sexist joke. When we gossip so that our neighbours or friends accept us. Or it can be even more subtle than that. Those times when we might be tempted to cheat on an exam or to fudge figures in business or on our tax return. When the challenge comes, when the pressure is on, are we prepared to be different, to stand out from the crowd and to be counted, regardless of the cost? All those years ago, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were faced with a life and death choice. Take a stand for God or submit to the boss whose authority was being challenged by their values. And there was King Nebuchadnezzar in full-blown rage. I'm going to give you guys one more chance to capitulate. Otherwise, you are toast. Literally. What impressed me is that these three guys did not need to go away and consider their positions. They didn't ask for a, a moment to toss a coin or to play paper, scissors, lizard, Spock or to make up their minds in some other way. 
Theirs was a predetermined response. It was an immediate response. If they were seen to stand out from the crowd, if they drew the attention of the boss, if they were threatened with a roasting, regardless of the cost, they were followers of Yahweh God. Let's look at their response in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue you, re- rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. As we continue to see a decline in Australia of people identifying themselves as followers of Jesus, we need to decide today whether we, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, will have a predetermined response when we come under pressure. Are we willing, regardless of the cost, to stand and to be counted as followers of Jesus? to identify ourselves by our words and our actions as people who put Yahweh God as number one in our life. If you are prepared to do that, then Jesus guarantees that challenges to our faith will come. Hours before he was sentenced to die like a criminal Jesus said to his followers in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 21, If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. Now this does not mean that we go around playing the victim with a woe-is-me attitude. But instead, we, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, show respect to those in authority, those who have um, some sort of responsibility over us in whatever capacity, and an even deeper commitment to Jesus. And while for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they were indeed rescued by Yahweh God, We need to understand that God does not guarantee that we will come out of these times of challenge unscathed. Our reading from Hebrews chapter 11 that John read before testifies that there are these cloud of witnesses who suffered and even died rather than to compromise their faith. So what about us today? 
Have you ever considered what your response might be when the things around you get a little bit uncomfortable because you're a follower of Jesus? Perhaps for you today, you haven't even made a decision to be a follower of Jesus. It's interesting to note that even Jesus encourages those who are considering following him to have a think about it and to consider the cost that is associated with being a follower of him. Following Jesus is not for the faint-hearted. Jesus does not invite us to follow some safe, domesticated and even benign religion. Following Jesus should inform and transform every aspect of our life. Once again, today we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard and the example that we've seen in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and to consider what God might be saying to us today. So on the slide you can see some questions that I've encouraged us to consider. When you consider the readings and the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, what stands out for you? Are there situations where you are being challenged to compromise your following of Jesus? How might you show respect to others while not compromising your faith in Jesus? And when those times of challenge, those opportunities to compromise, to fudge, to, to do whatever comes, what will your predetermined response be? We're going to leave those questions on the, the screen for a couple of minutes and Israel's going to come up and just play. And I invite you to, to spend some time reflecting on those questions and talk with God today about how you would respond. Thanks. God bless you.